Hey guys, it's Sunday night, and that means it's Sunday reading night, and I will be reading from a book written by Rudyard Kipling called The Phantom Rickshaw and Other Eerie Tales. I'll be right back. Grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. Happy Sunday. Well, it could be a happy Sunday. Maybe maybe you work the weekend and you're going to have Monday off. Who knows? But anyway, uh, welcome. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of lovely Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state. Let me get my little numbers up here. There we go. Uh, which means, being 45 strong up and down the state, we can get, we can get to you. It's you easily. Sometimes, so I'm going to warn you, it might take a, little, a couple extra days because California is this huge state, and a lot of people don't realize that. You know, when they think about us, they think about uh, kind of like Hawaii, surfers and beaches and California girls and all that. But, yeah, that's only part of it. I mean, we've got, we've got beautiful beaches, but we've also got a lot of farmland, a lot of rural coastline, a lot of mountains, a lot of deserts, a little bit of everything here. That's what makes California so fun. Anyway, uh, welcome. This is the this is Sunday, and this is the day that I read from a paranormal theme book, and we're going to be reading from the Phantom Rickshaw by Richard Kipling. If you're watching from Facebook, and a lot of you are, please be sure to hit that follow button if you haven't done so already, if you like what you hear today. Um, same thing with, with YouTube. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already. And uh, during the show, if you like what you hear and see, give me a thumbs up, give me a heart, show me some love, happy face, whatever, uh, just, to, just to show me, you know, to just, just to help us out a little bit. And you can comment in the chat room. Because what happens is, is that puts us out higher in what they call the Facebook and YouTube FYP, which means they distribute this out to more people. And, you know, the more the merrier. And just like if you've got people in your house that are listening or you're listening, get this in position, uh, share it. You know, share, 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 because we're, you know, we're always trying to get the word out with this uh, show. Uh, quick update on our numbers, our download numbers from the RSS feed, and I'm really excited about that, is now 9,800. So we have had quite the month uh, with RSS feed over there at uh, Apple, uh, Apple iTunes and all, and all those places. I mean, it's just, it's just been incredible. Anyhow, uh, if you want to find California Haunts, you can just type in California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, and you can find us all over the web. One thing I want to remind everybody is that I do, um, I do have a meditation uh, club, and uh, what that is is uh, for $25 for the month, you get three to four meditations a week. And I sit down with you, and we, and, do, and we do meditations. There's two different times for this stuff. There's 3.30 p.m. Pacific for the people on the East Coast. And then there's after the show at 7.45 p.m. Pacific. So there's, there's two day options. And we usually go we usually go Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday are, are the days we, we that we normally meditate. But if we do get more people involved with that meditation club, I will start going daily. So you can have daily meditations. Maybe one in the morning, maybe one in the evening. Okay, so come on over to the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team Meetup. That's all you got to type in. It's California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team Meetup, and you'll find us. Also on that meetup is, is uh, February 4th at 4 p.m. Pacific. Nancy Math is going to be doing Valentine's reading. So if you're wondering about your love life and how things are going to go, 
come on down and she'll give you a, a five to ten minute reading that day. Okay, so uh, check that out on the meetup as well. Again, California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team meetup. All right, that being said, I want to put out a thank you to, M to Michelle Engel uh, for, for, my gosh, I was so surprised yesterday. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been needing a new tablet. My, my, I have an eight inch uh, Samsung Galaxy Note that I've had since around 2009. And uh, I've just been, you know, it's just old and antiquated. I can't even update it. And Michelle happened to have a newer tablet and she donated it. So, I mean, that was just wonderful, and I thank her so much for that. I'm having a blast with that tablet right now. There's so much difference. I had a 10-inch before I bought the 8-inch, and uh, I, I missed the 10-inch, and this is great. Also, in the package was a, you know, was a uh, power bank, and I've been wanting to get a power bank for a while as well. So, thank you, thank you, thank you, if you're listening. All right, so what's going to happen today is uh, every Sunday, we I, I read, I say we, we as in all my producers and stuff. It's all one big, one big family here. Every Sunday, I read from a paranormal theme book, and this happens to have some ghost stories in it by by Rudyard Kipling. And if you know who Rudyard Kipling is, he is the guy that wrote the Jungle Book. So that should give you, you know, some, some knowledge here as to, as to who this guy is to place him. And these books were written in the late, you know, in the mid 18, late 1800s, so they are out of copyright, which is why we can read them on the air like this. So we're continuing. We're in the third story with the Phantom Rickshaw. We're just starting up the man who would be king. So this is what we're going to read, and I'll read for about an hour today, and then I'll uh, get off. And then tomorrow, uh, we, we have kind of an open day, and then it's Tuesday, we're going to have Reverend Bill Bean on. As I said before, I, I got sick, and I didn't book anybody because I was so ill. So I had some nights where I, I would read, or I would have a pre-record thing going on. So we're just catching up getting our guests. So within this week is when we're going to be caught up. I have at least three people scheduled already for appearances this week. So we're start, I'm starting to get the ball rolling again. With all that, so if you you know, as long as you stay patient with me and uh, stick with me, people, you, my regular guys on on the video, and and then my my people that are following me and giving me those incredible numbers on the RSS feed, stick with me, and uh, we're we're gonna get going with that. Plus the extra shows where I do crafts, arts and crafts, and stuff with you guys and different things. And now that we have that power bank, we're gonna be going out to events here in in Northern California, and I'll take you with me to these different events, okay? All right, so uh, without further ado, let me get this position here. And I don't hear a hum on the mic today, so that's a good sign. Let's read for the Phantom Rickshaw. Now, I, I, I would love it if you would comment during the show. The only issue is that I am reading this online because I um, even with my tablets, I cannot uh, see the, the text isn't big enough for, for my ancient eyes to read. So I have to read it on screen for the la on the laptop screen. So I won't be able to get back here except in between sections of the book itself. Okay, just a quick warning. I'm not ignoring you. I'm just trying to read the book. <laughs> Literally, I may. Well, that went down. That's not good. I have another one here. I may have to reuse my eyes too. Okay, with, with, with rewinding drops. All right. Without further ado, it's six oh eight right now. So I will read till seven oh eight tonight, and uh, then I'll let you go. And then there's always tomorrow, as they say. So cheers, everybody. And away we go. The man who would be king. Quotes. Brother to a prince and fellow to a beggar, if, if found worthy. The law, is quoted, lays down a fair conduct of life, of one not easy to follow. I have been fellow to, I have been fellow to a beggar again and again, under, under circumstances, which prevented either of us finding out whether the other was worthy. I have still to be brother to a prince, though I once came near the kinship, with what might have been a very 
of a veritable king and was promised the reversion of a kingdom, which is army. Law courts, revenue, and policy all complete. But today, I greatly fear that my king is dead, and if I want a crown, I must go hunt for it myself. The beginning of everything was in a railway train upon the road to Mahal from Ajmer. There had been a deficit in the budget, which necessitated traveling, not second class, which is only half as dear as first class, but by intermediate, which is very awful indeed. There are no cushions in the intermediate class, and the population are either intermediate, which is Eurasian, or native. Now remember, this was written in the late 1800s, so you know, it's, it's not woke, guys. Just work with me here, okay? So I can't control it. Okay, the population are either intermediate, which is Eurasian or native, which for a long night journey is nasty, or loafer, which is amusing though intoxicated. Intermediates do not buy from refreshment rooms. They carry their food in bundles and pots, and buy sweets from the native sweetmeat sellers, and drink the roadside water. This is why in hot weather intermediates are taken out of the carriages dead, and in all weathers are most properly looked, looked down upon. My particular intermediate happened to be empty till I reached, I'm trying to say this, Nasirabad. Nasirabad, why is it? When the big black-browed gentleman in shirt sleeves entered and, following the custom of intermediates, passed the time of day. He was a wanderer and a vagabond like myself, but with an educated taste for whiskey. He told tales of things he had seen and done of out-of-the-way corners of the empire into which he had penetrated and of adventures in which he risked his life for a few days' food. Quote, If India was filled with men like you and me, not knowing more than the crows where, where they get their next day's rations, it isn't, 70 million, it isn't 70 millions of revenue the land would be paying. It's 700 millions, said he. And as I looked at his mouth and chin, I was disposed to agree with him. We talked politics. The politics of Lofordham, that sees things from the underside, where the lathe and plaster is not smoothed off. And we talked postal arrangements, because my friend wanted to send a telegram back from, from the next station to Ajmer. The turning off place from the Bombay to the Mahal line as you travel westward. And I had, and my friend had no money beyond eight annas, which he wanted for dinner, and I had no money at all. Only to the hitch in the budget before only to the hitch in the budget before mentioned. Further, I was going into a wilderness where, though I should resume touch with the treasury, there was no telegraph offices. I was therefore unable to help him in any way. We might threaten a station master and make him send a wire on tick, said my friend, but that'd mean inquiries for you and for me, and I've got my hands full these days. Did you say you were traveling back along this line within any days? Within ten, I said. Can you make it eight? said he. Mine is rather urgent business. I can send you telegrams within ten days if that will serve you, I said. I couldn't trust the wire to fetch him. Now I think of it. It's this way. He leaves Delhi on the 23rd for Bombay. That means he'll be running through Ajumar about the night of the 23rd. But I'm going into the Indian desert, I explained. Well, and good, he said. You'll be changing at Marmore Junction to get into Jahadpur territory. You must do that. And he'll be coming through Marmore Junction in the early morning of the 24th by the Bombay Mail. Can you be at Marmore Junction on that time? 
I won't be inconveniencing you, because I know that there's precious few pickings to be gotten out of these central Indian states, even though you pretend to be correspondent to the black woodsman. Have you ever tried that trick, I asked? Again and again, but the residents find you out, and then you get escorted to the border before you've got time to get your knife into them. But about my friend here, I must give him a word of mouth to tell him what's come, what's come to me, or else he won't know where to go. I would take it more than kind of you if he was to come, if he was to come out of Central Indian time, Central Indian time to catch him at Marmore Junction, and say to him he has gone south for the week. He'll know what that means. He's a big man with a red beard and a great swell. He and a great swell he is. You'll find him sleeping like a gentleman with all his luggage around him in the second in the second class compartment. But don't you be afraid. Slip down the window and say he has gone south for the week, and he'll tumble. It's it's only cutting your time of stay in those parts by two days. I asked you as a stranger, going to the west, he said, with emphasis. Where have you come from, said I. From the east, said he, and I am hoping that you will give him the message on the square for the sake of my mother as well as your own. Englishmen are not usually softened by appeals to the memory of their mothers, but for certain reasons, which will fully be apparent, I saw fit to agree. It's more than a little matter, said he, and that's why I asked you to do it. And now I know that I can depend on you doing it. A second-class carriage at Marwar Junction and a red-haired man asleep in it. You'll be sure to remember. I get out the next station, and I must hold on there till he comes or says me what I want. I'll give the message if I catch him, I said. And for the sake of your mother as well as mine, I'll give you a word of advice. Don't try to run the Central India States just now as the correspondent of the Black Woodsman. There's a real one knocking out there, and it might lead to trouble. Thank you, said he, simply. And when the swine, and when will the swine be gone? I can't starve because he's ruining my work. I want to get a hold of Degumbaraja down here about his father's widow and give him a jump. What did he do to his father's widow then? Filled her up with red pepper and slipped her to death as she hung from a beam. I found that out myself, and I'm the only man that would dare be going into the state to get hush money for it. They'll try to they'll try to poison me, same as they did in, in, in Chortima when I went on the loot there. But she'll give the man at Marlowe Junction my message. He got out at a little roads <clears throat> excuse me, he got out at a little roadside station. And I reflected. I had heard more than once of men personating correspondents newspapers and bleeding small native states with threats of exposure, but I never met any of the case before. They they lead a hard life and generally die with great suddenness. The native states have a wholesome horror of English newspapers, which may throw light on their peculiar methods of government and do their best to choke correspondents with champagne and drive them out of their mind with four, with four-in-hand barroches. They do not understand that nobody cares a straw for the internal administration of native states so long as oppression and crime are kept within decent limits, and the ruler is not drugged, drunk, or distressed from one end of the year to the other. They are the dark places of the earth, full of unimaginable cruelty, touching the railway and the telegraph on one of, see, touching the railway, make sure, on, okay, <clears throat> excuse me, touching the rail, railway and the telegraph on one side, and on the other, the days of Haran al-Rashid. When I left the train, I did business with the, with the divers' kings, and in eight days passed through many changes of life. Sometimes I wore dress clothes 
and consorted with princes and politicals, drinking from crystal and eating from silver. Sometimes I lay out upon the ground and devoured what I could get from a plate made of leaves and drank the running water and slept under the same rug as my servant. It was all in a day's work. Then I headed for the great Indian desert upon proper date, as I had promised. And the night mail set me down at Marwar Junction, where a funny little happy-go-lucky native managed, native managed railway runs to Jodhpur. The Bombay Mail from Delhi makes a short halt at Marwar. She arrived just as soon as I got in, and I had just time to hurry to her platform and go down to carriages. There was only one second class on the train. I slipped the window, and I looked down upon a flaming red beard, half covered by a railway rug. That was my man, fast asleep, and I dug him gently in the ribs. He woke with a grunt, and I saw his face in the light of the lamps. It was a great and shining face. Tickets again, said he. No, said I. I am to tell you that he has gone south for the week. He has gone south for the week. The train had begun to move up. The red man rubbed his eyes. He has gone south for the week, he repeated. Now that's just like his impotence. Did he say that I was to give, give you anything? Because I won't. He didn't, I said, and dropped away and watched the red lights die out in the dark. It was horribly cold because the wind was blowing off the sands. I climbed into my own train, not an intermediate carriage this time, and went to sleep. If the man with the beard had given me a, ru a rupee, I should have kept it as a momentum of, of a rather curious affair. But as, a, but as a consciousness of having done my duty, that was my only reward. Later on, I reflected that two gentlemen like my friends could not do any good if they foregathered impersonated correspondents of newspapers and might, if they blackmailed one of the little rat trap states of Central India or Southern <laughs> Rajputana, R-A-J-P-U-T-A-N-A, -A, guys, get themselves into serious difficulties. I therefore took some trouble to describe them as accurately as I could remember to people who would be interested in deporting them, and succeeded. So I was later informed. And having them headed back from the, the Goomba borders, I'm trying, guys, okay? Then I became respectable and returned to an office with, where, where, where there were no kings and no incidents outside of, daily, of the daily manufacture of a newspaper. A newspaper office seems to attract every conceivable sort of person, yes, they do, to the prejudice of discipline. So now the mission ladies arrived and begged that, editor, begged that the editor will instantly abandon all his duties to describe a Christian prize-giving in a, in a back slum of a perfectly inaccessible village. Colonels, who have been overpassed for command, sit down and sketch the outline of a series of 10, 12, and 24 leading articles on seniority versus selection. Missionaries wish to know why they have not been permitted to escape from their regular vehicles of abuse, and, and swear at a brother missionary under special patronage of the editorial. Of the editorial. We... Okay, let me make sure I'm in the right spot. Hang on. Okay. All right, of the editorial. We, Strata Theatrical Company's troop, to explain that they cannot pay for their advertisements, but on their return from New Zealand or Tahiti, will do so with interest. Inventors, a patent puka, Punka pulling machines, carry couplings and unbreakable swords and, and axes called companies either and elaborate their, their prospectuses with the office pens. Secretaries and ball committees clamor to have the glories of their last dance more fully described. Strange ladies rustle in and say, I want 100 ladies' cards printed at once, please, which is manifestly part of the editor's duty. And every dissolute ruffian that ever trampled 
that never trampled the Grand Turk Trunk Road. I'm sorry, the Grand Trunk Road makes it his business to ask for employment as a proofreader. And all the time, the telephone bell is ringing madly, and kings are being killed on, on the continent, and empires are saying, you're, you're another, and Mr. Gladstone is calling down the brimstone upon the British dominions, and the little black copy boys are whining. <laughs> Here we go. Copy chai, copy chai haye. Copy wanted. Like tired bees. And most of the paper is as blank as Mordred's shield. But that is the amusing part of the year. There are six other months when none ever come to call. And the thermometer walks inch by inch up to the top of the glass. And the office is darkened to just above reading light. And the press machines are red hot to touch. And nobody writes anything but accounts of amusements in the hill stations or obituary notices. Then the telephone becomes a tinkling terror. Because it tells you of the sudden deaths of men and women that you knew intimately. And the prickly heat covers you with a garment. And you sit down and write. A slight increase of sickness is reported from the Kudajanta Khan district. The outbreak is purely sporadic in its nature, and, thanks to the energetic efforts of the district authorities, is now almost at an end. It is, however, with deep regret that we record the death, etc., etc., etc. Then the sickness really breaks out, and the less recording and reporting the better for the peace of the subscribers. But the empires and kings continue to divert themselves as selfishly as before. And the foreman thinks that a daily paper really ought to come out once in 24 hours. And all the people at the hill stations in the middle of their amusement say, good gracious, why can't the paper be sparkling? I'm sure there's plenty going on up there. That is the dark half of the moon. And, as the advertisements say, must be experienced to be appreciated. It was in that season, a remarkably evil season, that the paper began running the last issue of the week on Saturday night, which is to get, which is to say Sunday morning, after the custom of a linen paper. This was a great convenience, for immediately after, after the paper was put to bed, the dawn would lower the thermometer from 96 to almost 84 for half an hour. And then the chill. You have no idea how cold it is at 84 degrees on the grass until you begin to pray for it. A very tired man could get off to sleep you know, the heat that roused him. On Saturday night, it was my pleasant duty to put the paper to bed alone. A king or courtier or a courtesan or a, or a community was going to die or get a new constitution or do something that was important on the other side of the world. And the paper was to be held open till the latest possible minute in order to catch the telegram. It was a pitchy black night, as stifling as a June night can be. And the loo, the red-hot wind from the westward, was booming along the tinder dry trees and pretending that the rain was on its heels. Now and again, a spot of almost boiling water would fall on the dust with the flop of a frog. But all of our weary world knew that was only pretense. It was a shade cooler in the press room than in the office. So I sat there while the type ticked and clicked. And the night jars hooted at the windows. And all but naked con compositors wiped the sweat from their foreheads and called for water. The thing that was keeping us back, whatever it was, would not come off, though the loo dropped and the last type was set, and the whole rounder stood still in the choking heat, with its finger on its lip, to wait for the event. I drowsed and, wandered and wondered whether the telegraph was a blessing, and whether this dying man or the struggling people might be aware of the inconvenience the delay was causing. There was no special reason beyond the heat, and worry to make tension. 
But as the clock hands crept up to three o'clock and the machines spun their flywheels two and three times to see if that was all in order, before I said the word that would set them off, I could have shrieked aloud. Then the roar and rattle of the wheels shivered the quiet into little bits. I rose to go away, but two men in white clothes stood in front of me. The first one said, it's him. The second said, so it is. And they both laughed almost as loudly as the machinery roared and mopped their foreheads. We see there was a light burning across the road, and we were sleeping in that ditch there for coolness. And I said to my friend here, the office is open. Let's come along and speak to him. Let's speak to him as turned us back from the Gumar State, said the smaller one of the two. He was the man I had met in the, in the Mahal train, and his fellow was and his fellow was the Redbeater man of Marwar Junction. There was no mistaking the eyebrows of the one or the beard of the other. I was not pleased, because I wished to go to sleep, not to squabble with loafers. What do you want? I asked. Half an hour's talk with you, cool and comfortable, in the office, said the Redbeater man. We'd like some drink. The contract doesn't begin yet. Peachy. So you need so you need to look. But what we really want is advice. We don't want money. We ask you as a favor because we found out you did us a bad turn about the, about Dugumber State. I lit from the press room to the stifling office with the maps on the walls, and the red haired man rubbed his hands. That's something like, said he. This was the proper shop to come to. Now, sir, let me introduce you to the brother Peachy Carnahan. That's him. And Brother Daniel Dravat, that's me. And the less said, and the less said about our professions, the better. For we have been, for we have been the most things in our time: soldier, sailor, compositor, photographer, proofreader, street preacher, and correspondent of the Black Woodsman. When we thought the paper wanted one, Carnahan is sober, and so am I. Look at us first, and see that's sure. It will save you cutting into my talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. Okay, we'll take one of your cigars apiece. And you shall see us light up. I watched the test. The men were absolutely sober, so I gave them each a tip in whiskey and soda. Well, and good, said Carnahan of the eyebrows, wiping the froth from his mustache. Let me talk now, Dan. We have all, we have been all over India, mostly on foot. We have been boiler we have been boiler fitters, engine drivers, uh, petty contractors, and all that. And we have decided that India isn't big enough for such as us. They certainly were too big for the office. Dravot's beard seemed to fill half the room, and Carnahan's shoulders the other half. As they sat on the big table, Carnahan continued, "The country isn't half worked out because they, because that they, because that, because they that governs. I'm getting it together. Governs and won't let you touch it. They spend all their blessed time in governing it, and you can't lift a spade, nor chip a rock, nor look for oil, nor anything like that, without all the government saying, leave it alone and let us govern.'" Therefore, such as it is, we will let it alone and go away to some other place where a man isn't crowded and can come to his own. We are not little men, and there is nothing that we are afraid of except drink. And we have signed a contract on that. Therefore, we're going away to be kings. Kings in our own right, muttered Revot. Yes, of course, I said. You've been trampling in the sun, and it's a very warm night. And hadn't you better sleep over the notion come tomorrow? Neither drunk nor sunstruck, said Dravot. We have slept over the notion half a year and require to see books analysis. And we have decided that there is only one place now in the world that the two strong men can Sarawak. They call it, okay, here we go. 
Kafiristan. It's K-A-F-I-R-I-S-T-A-N. Okay? Kafiristan. By my reckoning, it's the top right-hand corner of Afghanistan, not more than 300 miles from, from, from Peshawar. They have, two, they have two and 30 heathen idols there, and will be the 33rd and 4th. It's a mountainous country. The women of those parts are very beautiful. But that is provided against in the contract, said Carnahan. Neither woman nor liquor, Daniel. Daniel. And that's all we know, except that no one has gone there, and they fight. And in any place where they fight, a man knows how to drill men can always be. A man who knows how to drill men can always be a king. We shall go to those parts and say to any king we find, Do you want to vanquish your foes? And we will show him how to drill men. For that we know better than anything else. Then we will subvert that king and seize his throne and establish a dynasty. You'll be cut in pieces before you're 50 miles across the border, I said. You have to travel through Afghanistan to get to that country. It's one mass of mountains and peaks and glaciers, and no Englishman has been through it. The people are utter brutes, and even if you and even if you reached them, you couldn't do anything. That's more like, said Carnahan. If you could think of us a little more mad, we would be more pleased. We have come to you to know to know about this country, to read a book about it, and to be shown maps. We want you to tell us that we are fools and to show us your books. He turned to the bookcases. Are you an old earnest, I, I said? A little, said Dravet, sweetly. As big a map as you, as you have got. Even if it is all blank where Kavirdistan is, and any books you've got, we can read, though we aren't very educated. I uncased the big thirty-two mile. I uncased the big thirty-two miles to the inch map of India, and two smaller frontier maps. Hauled down the volume, in if can, of the Encyclopedia Britannica, and the and the men consulted them. See here, said Drevat, his thumb on the map. Up to uh, here we go. Another word. Up to Jagdalak, Peachy, Peachy and me know the road. We we was there with Robert's army. We'll have to turn off to the right at at at, at Jagdalak <laughs> through Logman territory. I could read that one. Then we then, then we get among the hills, fourteen thousand feet, fifteen thousand. It'll be cold work there, but it don't look very far on the map. I handed him wood on the sources of the Oaks. Carnahan was deep in the encyclopedia. They're a mixed lot, said Robot, reflectively, and it won't help us to know the names of their tribes. The more tribes the more they'll fight, and the better for us, from Jagalak to Ashang. Hmm. But all the information about the country is as sketchy and inaccurate as can be, I protested. No one knows anything about it, really. Here's the file on the United, of the United Services Institute. Read what, what Belu says. Blow Belu, said Carnahan. Dan, there are stinking lot of heathens, but this book here says they think they're related to us English. I smoked while the men poured over Rafferty, Wood, the maps, and the encyclopedia. There is no use you're waiting, said Dravot politely. It's about four o'clock now. We'll go before six o'clock if, if you want to sleep, and we won't steal any of the papers. Don't you sit up. We're two harmless lunatics, and if you come tomorrow evening down to the Sarai, we'll say goodbye to you. You are two fools, I answered. You'll be turned back at the frontier or cut, or cut up the minute you set foot in Afghanistan. Do you want any money or a recommendation down country? I can help you with the chance of work next week. Next week we shall be hard at work ourselves. Thank you, said Dravot. It isn't so easy being a king as it looks. When we got our kingdom, 
when we've got our kingdom in going order, going order, we'll let you know, and you can come up and help us govern it. Would two lunatics make a contract like that? Said Carnahan, with subdued pride, showing me a greasy half sheet of note paper, on which was written the following. I copied it there, okay, then and there, as a curiosity. This contract between me and you, pursuing witnesses in the name of God, Amen, Amen. <laughs> Trying like. Sorry. Uh, there, God, uh, amen, and so forth. One, treat me, that, sorry, one, that me and you settle this matter together, i.e. to be kings of Kafiristan. Two, that you and me will not, while this matter is being settled, look at any liquor nor any women, black, white, or brown, so as to get mixed up with one or the other harmful. Three, that we conduct ourselves with dignity and discretion, and if one of us gets into trouble, the other will stay by him. Signed by you and me this day, Peachy Telefero Carnahan, Daniel Dravalt, both gentlemen at large. There's no need for that last article, said Carnahan, blushing modestly, but it looks regular. Now you know the sort of men that loafers are. We are loafers, Dan, until we get out of India. And do you think that we would sign a contract like that Unless we was in earnest. We have kept away from the two things that make life worth having. You won't enjoy your lives much longer. If you're going to try this idiotic adventure, don't set the office on fire, I said, and go away before nine. I left him still poring over the maps and making notes on the back of the con contract. Be sure to come down to the cereal tomorrow were their parting words. So right tomorrow, I'm sorry. So right tomorrow were their parting words. The Kamharsan Sarai is a great, great four-square sink of humanity where the, where, where the strings of camels and horses from the north load and unload. All the nationalities of Central Asia may be found there, and most of the folk of India proper. Balk and Bokhara, there meet Bengal and Bombay, and try to draw the eye teeth. You can buy ponies, tortoises, Persian pussycats, saddlebags, fat-tailed sheep, and musk in the Kamharsan Sarai and get many strange things for nothing. In the afternoon, I went down to see where my friends intended to keep their word and were lying there drunk. Or were lying there drunk. Okay, sorry about that. In the afternoon, I went down to see whether my friends intended to keep their word or were lying drunk. A priest attired in fragments of ribbons and rags stalked up to me, gravely twisting a child's paper whirly gig. Behind him was his servant bending under the load of a crate of mud toys. The two were loading up two camels, and the inhabitants of the Sarai watched them with shrieks of laughter. The priest is mad, said a, said a horse dealer to me. He is going up to Kabul to sell toys to the emir. He will either be raised to honor or have his head cut off. He came in here this morning and has been behaving madly ever since. The witless are under the protection of God, stammered a flat-cheeked, woozbag and broken Hindu, Hindi. They foretell the future events. Would they could have foretold that my caravan would have been cut up by, by the Shinwaris almost within the shadow of the pass? Grunted the Isfuzwai agent of a... Oh my god, okay. The, the, the Yusfuzwai agent of a Rajputana trading house whose goods had been diverted into the hands of other robbers just across the border and whose misfortunes were the laughing stock of the bazaar. Oh, hey, priest, whence it came and whither do you go? From Rome I have come, shouted the priest, waving his whirly gig. From Rome, blown by the breath of a hundred devils across the sea. 
O thieves, robbers, liars, the blessing of Perkhan on pigs, dogs, and perjurers. Who will take the protection, the, the, the protection of God to the north to sell charms that are never still to the Amir? The camel shall not gall, the sun shall not fall sick, and the wives shall remain faithful while they are away. Of the men who give me place in a caravan. Okay. Who will assist me to slipper the king of the bruise with a golden slipper with a silver heel? The protection of Perkhan be upon his labors. He spread out the skirts of his, of his gabardine and pirouetted between, between the lines of tethered horses. There starts a caravan from Peshawar to Kabul in 20 days. Hersret said he... <laughs> okay. E-U-S-U-F-Z-A-I, traitor. My camels go therewith. Do thou also go and bring good luck? I will go even now, shouted the priest. I will depart upon my winged camels and be at Peshawar in a day. Ho, Hazar Mir Khan, he yelled to his servant. Drive out the camels, but let me first mount my own. He leaped on the back of his beast as it knelt, and, turning round to me, cried, Come thou also. Sahib, a little along the road, and I will sell, and I will sell thee a charm, an amulet that shall make thee king of Kurdistan. Then the light broke upon me, and I followed the two camels out of the. Oh, sorry about this. Then the light fell upon me, and I followed the two camels out of the Sarari, till we reached the open road, and the priest halted. What did you think of that? Said he, said he in English. Carnahan can't talk their patter, so I made him my servant. He makes a handsome servant. Tea isn't for nothing that I've been knocking about the country for 14 years. Didn't I do that talk neat? We'll, we'll hitch out of the caravan to Pishwar till we get to the Jagdalek. And then we'll see if we can get donkeys for our camels and strive and strike in, in Kurdistan. Whirly gigs for the Amir, oh lord. Put your hand in, under the camel bags and tell me what you feel. I felt the butt of a martini and another and another. Twenty of them, said Ravet placidly. Twenty of them and ammunition to correspond under the whirly gigs and the mud dolls. Heaven help you if you are caught with those things, I said. A martini is worth her weight in silver among the pathas. Fifteen hundred rupees of capital. Every rupee we could bag, borrow, and st or steal are invested in all these two camels, said Ravat. We won't get caught. We're going through the Khyber with a regular caravan. Who touched poor? Okay, who touched a poor mad priest? Have you got everything you want? I asked, overcome with astonishment. Not yet, but we shall soon. Give us a memento of your kindness, brother. You did me a service yesterday, in that time in Marwar. Half my kingdom shall you have, as the saying is. I slipped a small charm compass from my watch chain and handed it up to the priest. Goodbye, said Dravot, giving me, giving me hand cautiously. It's the last time we'll shake hands with an Englishman in these many days. Shake hands with him, Car Carnahan, he cried, as the second camel passed me. Carnahan leaned down and shook hands. Then the camel passed away long along the dusty road, and I was left alone to wonder. My eyes detect no failure in their disguises. The scene and the Sarai proved that they were complete to the native mind. There was just one chance, therefore, that Carnahan and Dravot would be able to wander through Afghanistan without detection. But, beyond, they would find death, certain and awful death. Ten days later, a native correspondent, giving me the news of the day from Peshwar, wound up his letter with, There has been much laughter here on the account of a certain mad priest who is going 
in his estimation, to sell petty gobs as insignificant trinkets, which he ascribes as great charms to to H.H., the emir of Bukhara. He passed through Peshawar and associated himself with the second summer caravan that goes to Kabul. The merchants are pleased because, those through superstition, they imagine that such bad fellows bring good fortune. The two, then, were beyond the border. I would have prayed for them, but that night a real king died in Europe and demanded obituary notice. <clears throat> the wheel of the world swings through the same phases again and again. Summer passes and winter, and winter thereafter, and came and passed again. The daily paper continued, and I with it, and upon the third summer there fell a hot night, a night, a night issue, and a strain waiting for something to be telegraphed from the other side of the world, exactly as it happened before. A few great men had died in the past two years. The machines worked with more clatter, and some of the trees in the office garden were a few feet taller. But that was all the difference. I passed over to the press room and went through just the scene as I have already described. The nervous tension was stronger than it had been two years before, and I felt the heat more acutely. At three o'clock I cried, print off, and turned to go. When there crept to my chair, what was left of a man? He was bent into a circle, his head was sunk between his shoulders, and he moved his feet one over the other like a bear. I could hardly see whether he walked or crawled. This rag-wrapped, whining cripple, who addressed me by name, crying that he had he'd come back. Can you give me a drink, he whimpered. For the Lord's sake, give me a drink. I went back to the office, the, man's follow, the man following with groans, and pain, groans of pain, and I turned the lamp on. Don't you know me, he gasped, dropping into a chair, and he turned his drawn face, surmounted by a shock of gray hair, to the light. I looked at him intently. Once before had I seen eyebrows that met over the nose in, in an inch-broad black band. But, for the life of me, I could not tell where. I don't know you, I said, handing him the whiskey. What can I do for you? He took a gulp of the spirit raw and shivered in spite of the suffocating heat. I've come back, he repeated, and I was the king of Kravetistan, me and Dravot. Crown kings we was. In this office, we settled it. You, you sitting there and giving us the books... I'm Peachy, Peachy Tale of Pharaoh, Carnahan. And you've been sitting here ever since, oh Lord. I was more than a little astonished and expressed my feelings accordingly. It's true, said Carnahan, with a dry cackle, nursing his feet, which were wrapped in rags. True as gospel. Kings we were, with crowns upon our heads, and revolt, poor Dan, oh poor, poor Dan. That would never take advice, not through, not though I begged of him. Take the whiskey, I said. And take your own time. Tell me all you can. Re recollect of everything from beginning to end. You got across the border on your camels. Travolt dressed as a mad priest. And you a servant. Do you remember that? I ain't mad yet. But I shall be that way soon. Of course I remember. Keep looking at me. Or maybe my words will go all to pieces. Keep looking at me in my eyes and don't say anything. I leaned forward and looked into his face as steadily as I could. He dropped one hand upon the table. And I grasped it by the wrist. It was twisted like a bird's claw, and upon the back was a ragged, red, diamond-shaped scar. No, don't look there and look at me, said Carnahan. That comes afterward. But for the Lord's sake, don't distract me. We left with that caravan, me and Dravot, me and Dravot, playing all sorts of antics to amuse the people we were with. Dravot used to make us laugh in the evenings when all the people were cooking their dinners. Cooking their dinners, and what did they do then? They lit little fires with sparks that went into Dravot's beard, and we all laughed. 
fit to die. Little red fires they was going into Dravat, going into Dravat's big beard. So funny. His eyes left mine. He smiled foolishly. You went as far as of Jagdalek with that caravan, I said, at adventure. After you had lit those fires to Jagdalek, where you turned off to try and get to Kurdistan. No, we didn't. Neither. What are you talking about? We turned off before Jagdalek because we heard the rose was good. But they wasn't good enough for our two camels, mine and Dravat's. <clears throat> when we left the caravan, Dravat took off all his clothes and mine too, and said we would be heathen, because the Kafirs didn't allow didn't allow Mohammedans Mohammedans to talk to them. So we dressed betwixt and between, and such a sight as Daniel Dravat, I never I never saw yet nor expect to see again. He burned half his beard and slung a sheepskin over his shoulder, and shaved his head into patterns. He shaved mine, too, and made me wear outrageous things to look like a heathen. That was in a most mountainous country, and our camels couldn't get along any more because of the mountains. They were tall and black, and coming home, I saw them fight like wild goats. There are lots of goats in Kurdistan, and these mountains, they never keep still, no more, than a go no more than the goats, and always fighting they are, and don't let you sleep at night. Take some more whiskey, I said very slowly. What do you do? What do you and Daniel Javad do when the camels could go no farther because of the rough roads that led to Kurdistan? Quick drink here, guys. Okay. <clears throat> what did Witch do? There was a party called Peachy Tafero Carnahan that was with Dravid. Shall I tell you about him? He died out there in the cold. Slap from the bridge fell Opeachy, turning and twisting in the air like a penny whirly gig that you can call that you can sell to the Amir. No. There was two for three hapence, those whirly gigs. Or am I mistaken in woeful sore? And then these camels were no use. And Peachy said to Dravat, For the Lord's sake, let's get out of this before our heads are chopped off. And with that, they killed the camels all among the mountains. <clears throat> not having anything in particular to eat. But first they took off the boxes with the guns and the ammunition. Till two men came along driving four mules. Dravot up and dances in front of them, singing, Sell me four mules, says the first man. If you are rich enough to buy, you are rich enough to rob. But before ever he could put his, his hand to his knife, Dravot breaks his neck over his knee. And the other party runs away. So Carnahan loaded the mules with the rifles that was taken off the camels, and together we starts forward into those bitter cold mountains, and never a road broader than the back of your hand. He paused for a moment, while I asked him if he could remember the nature of the country through which he had journeyed. I'm telling you, as straight as I can, but my head isn't as good as it might be. They drove nails through it to make me hear better how, how, how Dravot died. The country was mountainous, and the mules were most contrary <clears throat> and the inhabitants. I don't know what's going off my throat. And the inhabitants was dispersed and solitary. They, they went up and up and down and down. And that other party, Carnahan, was imploring the Drevet, not was imploring Drevet not to sing or whistle so loud for fear of bringing down the avalanches. But Drevet says that if a king couldn't sing, it wasn't worth being king, and whacked the mules over the rump and never took no heed for ten cold days. We came to a big level valley all among the mountains, 
and the mules were near dead, so we killed them, not having anything special for, for them or us to eat. We sat upon the boxes and played odd and even with the cartridges that was jolted out. Then ten men with bows and arrows ran down that valley, chasing twenty men with bows and arrows, and the row was tremendous. They was fair men, fairer than you or me, with yellow hair and remarkable well built, and remarkably well built. Says Dravout, unpacking the guns, this is the beginning of the business. We'll fight for the ten men. And with that, he fires two rifles at the twenty men and drops one of them at two hundred yards from the, from the rock where he was sitting. The other men began to run, but Carnahan and Dravot sits on the boxes, picking them off at all ranges, up and down the valley. Then we goes up to the ten men that had run across the snow, too, and they fires a forty little yellow arrow at us. Dravot, he shoots above their heads, and they all falls down flat. Then, then he walks over to them and kicks them. And then he lifts them up and shakes hands all around to make them friendly-like. He calls them and gives them the boxes to carry and waves his hand for all the world as though he was king already. They takes the boxes and him across the valley and up the hill into a pine wood on top where there was half a dozen big stone idols. Dravat goes to the biggest, a fellow they call Imbra, and lays a rifle and cartridge at his feet, rubbing his nose respectively with his own nose, patting him on the head, and nods his head and says, that's all right. I'm in the know now, too. And these, and these old Jim Jams are my friends. Then he opens his mouth and points down and, po and points down it. And when the first man brings him food, he says, no. And when the second man brings him food, he says, no. But when one of the old priests and the boss of the village brings him food, he says, yes, very haughtily, and eats it slow. That was how we came to our first village without any trouble just as though we had tumbled from the skies. But we tumbled from one of those damned rope bridges, you see, and you couldn't expect a man to laugh much after that. Take some more whiskey and go on, I said. <clears throat> that was the first village you came into. How did you get to be king? I wasn't king, said Carnahan. Drive out, he was king. And a handsome man he looked with gold crown on his head and all. Him and the other party stayed in that village. And every morning, Dravot sat by the side of, of old Imbra, and the people came and worshipped. That was Dravot's order. Then a lot of men came into the valley, and Carnahan, and Carnahan Dravot, okay, picks them on, Carnahan Dravot, okay, picks them off with the rifles before they knew where they was, and runs down into the, into the valley and up again the other side, and finds another village, same as the first one. And the people all falls down flat on their faces, and Dravot says, now, what is the trouble between you two villages? And the people points to a woman, as fair as you or me, that was carried off. <coughs> Jeez. And Revolt takes her back to the first village and counts up the dead. Eight there was. For each dead man, Revolt pours a little milk on the ground and waves his arms like a whirligig, and that's all right, says he. Then he and Carnahan takes the big boss of each village by the arm and walks them down the valley. And shows them how to scratch a line with a spear right down the valley, okay, and gives each a sod of turf from both sides of the line. Then all the people comes down and shouts like the devil and all. And Dravot says, Go and dig the land and be fruitful and multiply, which they did, though they didn't understand. Then we asked the names of things in their lingo bread and water and fire and idols and such. And Dravot leads the priest of each village up to the idol and says he must sit there and judge the people, as if it, and, and if anything goes wrong, he has to be shot.
Next week, they was all turning up the land in the valley as quiet as bees and much prettier. And the priest heard all the complaints and told her about in dumb show what it was about. That's just the beginning, Sister Volt. They think, they think we're gods. He and Carnahan picks out 20 good men and shows them how to click off a rifle and form fours and advance in line. And they was very pleased to do so and clever to see the hang of it. Then he takes out his pipe and his baki pouch and leaves one at one village and one at the other. And off we two goes to see what's to be done in the next valley. That was Old Rock, and there was a little village there. And Carnahan says, send them to the Old Valley to, to plant and takes them there and gives, gives them some land that wasn't took before. They were a poor lot, so we blooded them with a kid before letting before them in the New Kingdom. That was to impress the people then and settle down quiet. And Carnahan went back to their vote. I'm thinking real quick here when they talk about a kid, I'm not thinking they're saying like a child. I think cause, because go, goats are known as kids. Okay, so that's probably what they're talking about as a goat. And Carnahan went back to Dravot, who had gone to another valley, all snow and ice and most mountainous. There was no people there, and the army got afraid. So Dravot shoots one of them and goes on to, uh, and goes on until he finds some people in a village. And the army explains that unless the people wants to be killed, they had better not shoot their little matchlocks, for they had matchlocks. We make friends with the priest, and I stays there along with two of the army, teaching the man how to drill. And a thundering big chief comes across the snow with kettle drums and horns twanging because he heard there was a new god kicking about. Carnahan sights for the brown of the men half a mile across the snow and wings one of them. Then he sends a message to the chief that, unless he wishes to be killed, he must come and shake hands with me and leave his arms behind. The chief comes alone first, and Carnahan shakes hands with him and whirls his arms about, same as Dravot used and very much surprised that king was, and strokes my eyebrows. Then Carnahan goes alone to the chief and asks him, in dumb show, if he has an enemy he hated. I have, says the chief. So Carnahan weeds out the pick of his men and sets the two of the, and, and sets the two of the army to show them drill. And at the end of the two weeks, the men come, can maneuver about as well as volunteers. So he marches with the chief to a great big plain on top of a mountain. And the chief's men rushes to a village and takes it. We three martinis, we three martinis firing into the brow of the enemy. So we took that village too, and I gives the chief a rag for my coat and says, "Occupy till I come," which was scriptural. By way of a reminder, when me and the army was eighteen hundred yards away, I drops a bullet near him standing on the snow, and all the people falls flat on their faces. Then I sends a letter to Dravot wherever he may be, land or by sea. At the risk of throwing the creature out of the train, I, I interrupted. How could you write a letter up yonder? The letter? Oh, the letter. Keep looking at me between the eyes, please. There was a string talk letter that we learned the way of it from a blind beggar in the, in the Punjab. I remember that there had once come to the office a blind man with a knotted twig and a piece of string which had wound the twig according to some cipher of his own. He could, after the lapse of days or hours, repeat the sentence which, which he had reeled up. He had reduced the alphabet to eleven primitive sounds and tried to teach me his method, but I couldn't understand. I sent the letter to Dravot, said Carnahan, and told him to come back because this kingdom was growing too big for me to handle. And then I struck for the first valley, 
to see how the priests were working. They called the village. We they called the village. We took along with the chief, Bash Bashkai, and the first village we took, Urheb. The priests at Urheb were doing all right, but they had a lot of pending cases about to land about land to show me, and some men from another village had been firing arrows at night. I went out and looked for that village and fired four rounds at it from a thousand yards that used all the cartridges I cared to spend. And I waited for Devon, who had been away two or three months, and I kept the people quiet. One morning I heard the devil's own noise of drums and horns, and Dan Devon marches down the hill with his army and a tall and a tail of hundreds of men, and which was the most amazing and great gold crown on his head. My gourd, says Daniel, says Daniel, excuse me, this is a tremendous business, and we've got a whole country as far as it's worth having. I am the son of Alexander, my queen Samaris, and you are my younger brother and a god too. It's the biggest thing we've ever seen. I've been marching and fighting for six weeks with the army, and every footy little village for 50 miles has come in rejoiceful, and more than that, I've got the key to the whole show, and you'll see. And I've got a crown for you. I told them to make two of them at a place called Shu where the gold lies in the rock like, like suet and mutton. Gold I've seen and turquoise I, I, I kicked out of the cliffs. And there's garments in the sands of the river. And here's a chunk of amber that a man brought me. Call up all the priests. Here, take your crown. One of the men opens a black hair bag, and I slips the crown on. It was too small and too heavy, and I wore it for the glory. Hammer gold it was, five pounds weight and like a hoop of a barrel. Peachy, says Trevon, we don't want to fight no more. The craft's the trick. So help me. And he brings forward the same chief that I left at, at, at Boshkai. Billy Fish, we called him afterwards, because he was so like Billy Fish that drove the big tank engine at Mach on the bullet in the old days. Shake hands with him, says Trevon. And I shook hands and nearly dropped, for Billy Fish gave me the grip. I said nothing but tried him with a fellow craft grip. He answers all right, and I tried the master's grip, but that was a slip. A fellow craft he is, I says to Dan. Does he know the world? He does, says Dan, and all the priests know. The, okay, she did all the priests know. It's a miracle. The chiefs and the priests can work fellow craft lodge in a way that's very like ours, and they've cut the marks on the rocks, but they don't know the third degree. And, and they've come to find out. It's, it's, it's God's truth. I've known these long years that the Afghans knew up to the fellow craft degree. But this is a miracle. A god and a grandmaster of the craft am I, and a lodge in the third degree I will open, and will raise the head priests and the chiefs of the villages. It's against all the lies, says, holding a lodge without a warrant from anyone. And you know we never, we've never held, held office in any lodge. It's a master stroke of policy, says Dravant. It means running the country as easy as four-wheel boogie on the downgrade. We can't stop to inquire now, or they'll turn against us. I have 40 chiefs at my heel, and passed and raised according to their merit. Shall be. Shall be. Okay. Build up these men on the village, and see that we run up a lodge of some kind. The temple of Imbra will do for a lodge, for a lodge room. And the women must make aprons as, as you show me, and as you show, show them. I'll hold, a, I'll hold a levy of chiefs tonight and launch tomorrow. 
I was fair run off my legs, and I wasn't such a fool as not to see what a pull this crap business gave us. I showed the priest families how to make aprons of the degrees, but for Dravot's apron, the blue border and marks was made of turquoise lumps and white hide, not cloth. We took a great square stone in the temple for the master's chair and little stones for the officer's chairs and painted the black pavement with white squares and did what we could to make things regular. At the levee, which was held that night on the hillside with big bonfires, Dravot gives out that him and me were gods and sons of Alexander and past grandmasters in the craft and was come to make Kavurdistan a country where every man should eat in peace and drink in quiet and especially obey us. Then the chiefs come round to shake hands and and they were so hairy and white and fair it was just a shaking of hands with, it was just like shaking hands with old friends. We gave them names according according as they was like men we had known in India. Billy Fish, Holly Dilworth, Picky Kurgan. That was bizarre, Master, when I was at Mahau. And so on and so on. The most amazing miracle was at Lodge next night. One of the old priests was watching this continuous, and I felt uneasy, for I knew we'd have to fudge the ritual, and I didn't know what the men knew. The old priest was a stranger coming from beyond the village of Bashkai. The minute vote puts on the master's apron that the girls had made for him, the priest fetches a whoop and a howl and tries to overturn the stone that Dravot was sitting on. It's all up now, I says. That comes a meddling with the craft without warrant. Dravot never winked an eye. Not when ten priests took and tilted over the Grandmaster's chair, which was to say the stone of Imbra. The priest begins rubbing the bottom of the end of it to clear away the black dirt and presently shows all the other priests the master's mark, same as was on Dravot's apron cut into the stone. Not even the priests of the Temple of Imbra knew it was there. The old chap falls flat on his face at Dravot's feet and kisses him. Luck again, says Dravot, across the lodge to me. They say it's the missing mark that no one could understand the why of. We're more than safe now. Then he bangs the butt of his gun for a gavel and says, by virtue of the authority vested in me by my own right hand and the help of Peachy, I declare myself Grand Master of all Freemasonry and Kavurdistan, and this the mother lodge over the country, and king of Kavurdistan equally with Peachy, and that he puts on his crown and I puts on mine. I was doing senior warden, and we opened the lodge in most ample form. It was an amazing miracle. The priest moved the, the priest moved in lodge through the first two degrees among without almost without telling, and if the memory was coming back to them after, coming back to them after that Peachy and Revoke raised such as was worthy, high priests and chiefs of far-off villages. Billy Fish was the first. And I can tell you, we scared the soul out of him. It was not in any way according to ritual, but it served our turn. We didn't raise more than ten of the biggest men because we didn't want to make the degree common, and they was clamoring to be raised. In another six months, says Revolt, we'll hold another communication and see how you are working. Then he asked them about their villages and learns that they was fighting one against the other and were sick and tired of it. And when they wasn't doing that, they was fighting with the Mohammedans. You can fight those when they come into our country, Sister Vaughn. Tell off every tenth man. Tell off every tenth man of your tribes for a frontier guard. And send 200 at a time to this valley to be drilled. Nobody is going to be short 
or spirit anymore, so long as he does well. And I know that you won't cheat me, because you're white people, sons of Alexander. Again, it, late 1800s, you guys. And not like common black Mohammedans. See? 1800s, okay? You are my people. And by God, says he, running off into English at the end, I'll make a, a damn fine nation of you, or I'll die in the making. I can't tell what we did for the next six months, but because Draval did a lot, I couldn't see the hang-up. And he learned their lingo in a way I never could. My work was to help the people to plow. And now and again, go out with some of the army and see what the other villages were doing and make them throw rope bridges across the ravines, which cut up the country horrid. Dravot was very kind to me, and but when he walked up and down in the pine wood pulling that bloody red beard of his with both fists, I knew he was thinking plans I couldn't advise about, and I just waited for orders. But, but Dravot never showed me disrespect before the people. They were afraid of me in the army, but they loved Dan. He was the best of friends with the priests and the chiefs, but anyone could come across the hills with, with a complaint, and Dravot would hear him out there and call out more priests together and say what was about to be done. He used to call him Billy Fish from, Bush, from Boshkai and Picky Kurgan from Shu, and an old chief called Kavusalam. It was like enough to his real name, and hold councils with him when there was any, any fighting to be done in small villages. That was his council of war. And the four priests, Bashkai, Shu, Kawak, and Medora, were his privy council. Between the lot of them, they sent me with 40 men and 20 rifles and 60 men carrying turquoises into the Gorbin country to buy those handmade martini rifles that come out of the Amir's workshops in Kabul from one of the Amir's Harati regiments, which that would have sold the very teeth of their mouths for turquoise. I stayed in Gorband a month and gave the governor the pick of the baskets for hush money and bribed the colonel of the regiment some more, and between the two and the tribe's people, we got more than a hundred handmade martinis, a hundred good cohot gazelles that will throw to 600 yards, and 40 man loads of very bad ammunition for the rifles. I came back with that, with what I had, and distributed them among the men that the chief sent into me to drill. Dravot was too busy to attend to those things, but the old army that we first made helped me, and we turned out 500 men that could drill and do 200, and 200 that knew how to hold arms pretty straight. Even those corkscrewed handmade guns was a miracle to them. Dravot talked big about powder shops and factories, walking up and down in the pine wood, when the winter was coming on. Okay, guys, I'm going to stop right there. Um, it's a good book. It's a good book. You know, it's just it's just um, the words trying trying to form the words for some of these towns and these and these chiefs and all that makes it a challenge, right? It's kind of like when I read Anna Maria Manalo's uh, book that was that that had all the German words. That was fun. Anyway, let me get back over to Streamyard here. I'll save where I'm at so we can continue next week. Hopefully next Sunday. Hello, Pamela. Pamela's back from Walt Disney World. I'm so jealous. Anyway, I want to thank you all for coming today. It's Sunday, and I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. I do have a guest in mind. We'll see if I can get them to come on. 
Otherwise, we'll just, we, might, we might have a, a chat and talk tomorrow. We'll see how it goes. Maybe I can even convince Nancy to come on and do a quickie show with us tomorrow. We'll see how that works out, or maybe I get somebody booked. But uh, Tuesday, for sure, Reverend Bill Bean will be with us. And uh, he always has interesting stories to tell. He's got a new book out about his life growing up and how he started to uh, notice dark entities when he was like really early age, like five years old. So it's going to be an interesting talk with him. But anyway, I want to thank you all for coming. And uh, again, be sure to check out California Haunts uh, Paranormal Investigation Team at meetup.com. Uh, join our meditation club where we're going to be meditating, you know, three times a week as, as of now, but it will go to full, you know, every day of the week once we get more people involved with this. It's really a cool club to maybe end your day with or a midday thing. Like I said, I do one at 3.30 p.m. Pacific. Uh, for the people that live back east, so you know that that comes out to be what six thirty p.m. for them, um, and then I also do one after the show at seven at seven forty-five p.m. Pacific. So uh, if that's something you might be interested in, also don't forget February fourth, four p.m. Pacific. Nancy will be doing Valentine's readings, and you can find out about your love lives. So uh, if that's something you're interested in, come on over again. It's the California Haunts Meetup. Okay, well, that's going to do it. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are always equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. And uh, I want to thank everybody for coming and uh, everybody in the RSS feed that has downloaded our, our, our stuff this, this, this month. Wow. All right. So I will see you guys tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Uh, let me get over my page here. Got to flip, flip, flip. All right. I'll see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Bye.